Hello from all around the world and welcome to the Crazy About Crypto Show, an interactive live podcast on Twitter spaces for anyone exploring crypto and wanting to learn more from others that have already dived into the space. From NFT artists to savvy crypto investors to everyday people just like you and I, this is a place where we can come together and learn about this new wave of innovation. I'm honored to deep dive and learn from today's guest, the co-founder of Manifold.xyz, a smart contract creation platform for artists to protect their brand and authenticity tracking. Richard has worked with massive NFT artists, including Slime Sunday, Thank UX, Nest Graphics, Fawocious, Mad Dog Jones, and most recently, the Sacramento Kings of the NBA. Richard, welcome to the Crazy About Crypto Show. Good to be here. All right, Richard. I start every podcast with the same question. Um, this is all about our, our similar journeys into the crypto space. So if you don't mind, if you don't mind spending just a minute or two explaining your journey into crypto, the first time you kind of dipped your toes into the water to being fully immersed into the space. Um, so yeah, how to get immersed, how to get involved in crypto. Okay, so it was 2011, I think, 2012, one of those years. And I was there working in San Francisco at a startup there. And I got a message from my friend. He was like, hey, can you go to this Bitcoin conference for me? And I was like, Bitcoin conference? Like, I knew what Bitcoin was just through the tech, right? But it wasn't really like a thing. Mm-hmm. And he's like, uh, go to this conference because, you know, he was living in China at the time. He was like, I want to get involved with this uh with Bitcoin, right? And I want to like get someone to like pay me to like to develop a project for them. And so then I was like, okay, I'm like, sure, I can do that for you, right? So I went to the I went to the Bitcoin conference with no idea what Bitcoin was, and you know when I went there, uh, actually, so a week earlier, I just I bought my first Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. I bought it for like, which I bought it for like I think like sixty bucks. <laughs> I bought like 10 Bitcoin for like 60 bucks, 60 bucks each, right? So I spent 600 bucks in Bitcoin. Um, and then I went to this conference and then, you know, it was, it was all like, I had no idea what was going on with Bitcoin in general, right? So I had basic understanding of it, but not really like, you know, any not, any deep knowledge of it. So I was there, right? And I met, I met um, the person who eventually became my co-founder of my company, of my next company, right? And, you know, we met there, we found we had some mutual friends, some very unlikely mutual friends. And then we just hit it off. And then we were both like, yo, let's like screw this conference and let's just join the hackathon together. All right. So he had done some Bitcoin things uh, previously. I had no idea, you know, what I was doing, but I was more of a, I was a web, develop, a web developer and iOS developer. And so we made a mobile app called, it was called Bitcoin with Friends. And all, all that you do was, you could lend Bitcoin to your friends on Facebook, right? And because one of the hard parts of getting Bitcoin at the time was that it was actually really hard to get Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Like you had to do all these like KYC things. It was like it was it was kind of like wild 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 west of like crypto back then. Um, and yeah, so we joined the hackathon together. Uh, we made the app going to friends to you know you could post a message on face on your Facebook wall, and somebody could click the link and then you could lend them like what well, at the time was five dollars of Bitcoin. Um, and then you know they could just pay you back some, and so we entered the hackathon. We didn't win the hackathon, but you know we just enjoyed working together. We eventually said, okay, let's just like expand this a bit more, right? So we expanded the, the project a bit more, built a website for it, expand, uh, did a full launch for it, 
we ended up getting a whole bunch of users on it. We got about a thousand users, um, just like transferring Bitcoin among each other on this like Facebook social platform or on this. Are you still there, Richard? I think our audio went out for a second. Um, I think, yeah, I'm having connection problems for some reason. It looks like Twitter keeps dropping me. Okay, well, I can hear you again. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, then we're like, let's just work on Bitcoin full-time. So we just dove into Bitcoin and started developing Bitcoin applications. And then, yeah, that's how I started. That's amazing. So you were in web development, which explains a lot of kind of about how you've been so successful in the smart contract and getting in embedded into kind of the technology and we see a lot of the ogs that are now building in the space i just had aj vaynerchuk on the show yesterday and he was also just talking about how he didn't really understand bitcoin at the beginning but it was just the sense that he got about it so what was it about bitcoin when you first heard about it that was like oh this could be a like this could be something that really takes off in the future uh it was it was programmable money right so like I think I, I think I wasn't there like super early when like Bitcoin wasn't a thing, but you know when I got came in, Bitcoin actually was worth something. But it was literally programmable money. You could do internet applications um, and send money back and forth without you having an intermediary, right? Which yeah. you know, as yeah. someone who is developing has developed you know applications, you're always beholden to like a centralized partner, right? So for example, like PayPal or even the banking infrastructure, right? And really, what it did, it allowed developers. To develop financial applications without, you know, being reliant on a third party. Mm-hmm. Right, and I thought that was so powerful because, well, you know, you know, if anyone has developed a web application before or a business before, you know, accepting money is one of the harder things to do. Right, um, it's just hard. Right, mm-hmm. yeah, I think a lot of uh, platforms make it try to make it easy with their their dev kits and so on, but as a programmer, it's like, well, you know, you're just beholden to these like intermediaries. Yeah, And so, you know, the cool thing is that, you know, when we started working stuff, we just made applications and me and my buddies just said, hey, let's make an application just so we can send each other Bitcoin, right? And then we were just sending each other like hundreds of dollars of Bitcoins for like things, right? With, and we were doing it all by ourselves. Mm-hmm. You, so, know, you know, I thought that was really powerful, right? It's super incredible. I had, because I also had Silly Tuna on the show. He's kind of an OG in the space, and he started as a game developer. But it seems like a very common thread, right, of like um, people that understand the technology, understand and have kind of that background in computer science really get it pretty quickly and are like, I need to at least take a shot and try to build something with this. And uh, I think because of the building that happened behind the scenes of everyone that got it, um, that's kind of what got us here today. So I really appreciate the work that you did and just kind of jumping in and building from the very beginning because that kind of helped us uh, and lead us to where we're at today. So one other thing I want to talk about, because I also mentioned, talked a little bit about this with Silly Tuna, um, because there's definitely like the Bitcoin maximalists out there that think that Bitcoin is sovereign. There's not really going to be any other technology that makes it. And I think the the type of people I want on this show to also challenge that narrative, because it's really important to understand this technology is wider ranging than just a currency at this point. And so I'd love for you to talk a little bit about NFTs um, and where you think like the future of like like this digital technology can go in the next few years if we continue building yeah um yeah so if, you know to touch on that the reason why i got into nfts right so you know the, over the past decade i've always been building like bitcoin apps right or crypto apps 
right? I took a stint to do another startup that was not even crypto related, but I ended up coming back to crypto. But one of my big frustrations with uh, crypto at the time was that the applications were boring. And so all the times it's just like, how do you make, how do you make money? How do you make more money? How do you transfer money? Right. Those were kind of like the big themes of like, you know, what crypto and DeFi were. Right. And, you know, at one point for me, it was like, well, you know, is it really just about the money? It's like, that's, that's all there is about this. Mm-hmm. Right. And so when NFTs came around, when I was introduced to an NFT, it was completely foreign to me, right? My co-founder of Manifold, he, he got me involved, right? And he sent me an NFT and it like, he, and it was like a JPEG, right? And I'm like, you spent 600 bucks on the JPEG, right? <laughs> I just, I had no idea of like, why, why someone would do that, right? And like, um, and so then after that, he sent me another one. He's like, well, here's another one. I'm like, I'm like, why are you doing this? Right. It made no sense to me. Right. Mm-hmm. So then, then he got me to buy one. Right. So then he got, so I bought my first NFT. It was a slime Sunday piece, um, on Nifty gateway. Right. And we bought it for four grand and then I'm like, what do you do with this thing? Right. So, uh, then he's like, well, there's only two options you have for this thing. You can hold it or you can sell it. <laughs> so I'm like, like, you know, that's literally all I could do at the, at the time. Right. Yeah. And so he's like, why don't you try selling it, right? I'm like, sure, how much do I sell for? And he's like, put, uh, why don't you selling it, try selling for 15 grand, right? I'm like, that's ridiculous. Why, why, why did anyone pay 15 grand for this thing? And so we put it on the market, listed it. I caught up with him because we haven't talked because of COVID. So it's been like, you know, been a while. We hung up the call and then like 20 minutes later, the thing sold for 15 grand. I was just like, wait, what? <laughs> right, it was just like, it was just like, mind blowing to me that you know i just made eleven thousand dollars for pretty much doing nothing mm-hmm. um but at the, but the, the other thing too is that as soon as it sold my immediate gut feeling my emotional reaction wasn't happy it was like i made a mistake because mm-hmm. obviously if somebody's bought it for that price that fast that means i underpriced it mm-hmm. and so then from there i was just like it was just a deep dive into it right i just like had to figure out what was going on here like you know what what really drove this NFT space, what really drove the economy, right? And, you know, what I found is that uh, NFTs and crypto, while, you know, NFTs are built on top of crypto, they're not, it's, it was, to me, crypto is killer product, right? It is the product that can bring in the mainstream and the masses and onboard them onto crypto, mm-hmm. right? I started, you know, as soon as I started buying things, I started getting some of my friends involved, right, who are not crypto people. Like, you know, I've been crypto for a while. They all knew I did crypto but they were never like involved with crypto. But as soon as NFTs came on, they were like, I get it, right? This is cool, right? Mm-hmm. It plays a lot to like, you know, our uh, our nature to collect things. It's cool because it creates communities and friendships. And, you know, you know, it's, it's much bigger than just like crypto in a sense, right? Yeah. And there's also financial incentives, which is kind of cool, right? So it's like, there's you got the games, you got the community, you got the artwork, right? And so there's like, there's something for everybody, depending on what angle you want to like, approach to that and yeah when they got involved they were just like really involved right and i find that the barrier to entry is just like you know understanding what an mt is owning one and understanding what ownership of a digital asset is so where does this go for the future well you know for me uh nfts are just the beginning because i think it's uh there's a, the bigger subset here is just dig- digital commerce and so you know if you think about what is actually going on in the real world right now you have things like you know all these like metaverse projects that are not NFT related right now. So you have like Roblox, you have Fortnite, you have Minecraft, right? These are all, you know, ecosystems and metaverses 
that are you know closed metaverses that are selling digital goods, selling identity, and you know all the same concepts that we're experiencing right now with NFTs. And so you know it's only a matter of time where you know the generation of you know the generation playing these games, which is you know the, the kids these days, are just going to evolve, and then you know they they just understand what digital ownership is for everything. And so so that's where I think the opportunity is that you know, we're just I think that when you think about NFTs in the metaverse, we're all just like adults just playing with, you know, digital goods. Yeah. And it's crazy to think our kids are going to grow up in this age where this is normal. You know, this is, you're, you're, you have like this identity online that you actually can like monetize. Um, and I think that's really a fascinating concept that is just going to continue to grow. I mean, it just, it goes towards um, a lot of human nature to find the easiest path. Seems like a lot of um, a lot of things got in the way of that uh, over the years, just because of bureaucracy. Uh, and so now that it's like becoming quicker adoption, it's really going to be interesting to see what like this new wave, especially with metaverses coming into space, um, and how quickly it all can go. Because I mean, we were both around during the last two years um, after the ICO craze, and it is, it just feels like everyone's building and doing all these different things to get us prepared for like this new moment of innovation that's happening kind of in, in 2021 and late 2020 around uh, digital assets. Um, so, but I want to talk about... Um, the token standards, the non-fungible token standards. So we, you hear um, ER, ERC-721 is kind of the more well-known one, and then you have ERC-1155. Um, and I always am trying to wrap my head around kind of the differences between the the contracts, the perks, and the drawbacks of each. There seems to be a lot of bias in different communities about which is better. But on a basic level, from an objective point of view, can you kind of explain a bit of the differences between those two contracts and kind of the benefits and drawbacks of each? Uh, yeah, for sure. Right. So, you know, the 721 is, you know, the basic ERC um, or NFT contract, right? And so what it defines, it defines. Uh, uniqueness of a token, right? So if you start off, you know, going back first, you know, you had the ERC-20, which is just, you know, there's a token and there's a bounce, right? The ERC-721 says that there is a unique token, that every token is unique um, within that contract, right? Um, you know, where that ends up being is that, you know, you can, the, the, the key innovation here is that you can now prove ownership of that token. So before you used to have a bounce, right? Now you can say that, this individual token belongs to this individual owner, mm-hmm. right? And you know, so where did that where did that lead? Is that it mainly came from like unique art, right? So you could say you could have <clears throat> for the NFT space, we associate it with art generally, right? But you know, a token can represent anything, right? Uh, specifically for NFTs, it usually represents an image or a a, a video. Mm-hmm. But it can represent anything, right? It can represent a web page. It could represent, you know, even ownership of a house or a physical good. You know, it just it's just it's just a token that's that's owned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for a while there, what happened is that there was a lot of projects just developing uh, ERC seven twenty ones, and the the big I guess the creator of the ERC seven twenty one is CryptoKitties, right? Mm-hmm. And it's actually it's actually funny. So I actually have a bit of history in this of the creation of the ERC-721. Um, a month or two before CryptoKitties was created, the, the creator of CryptoKitties called me up 
and said, hey, I got this idea to make this cat game where cats will like fuck on the blockchain and breed, right? <laughs> and I was like, she's telling me this idea, right? I'm just like, what is what is this, right? I'm like, this makes no sense to me at all, right? And so I told him it was a terrible idea. <laughs> and so, yeah, anyway, so a month later, you know, a little bit later, a few months later, right, out comes CryptoKitties, and part of CryptoKitties was um, the development of the ERC-721 spec, right? So it was him and the tech lead at Dapper Labs who created the ERC-721 spec. And yeah, so that's my that's my history of NFTs where I fit in. Um, but yeah, so the 721, it defines the uniqueness of a token. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, it's mainly used for unique art. So that's, let's go over to the 1155, right? So 1155 brings it one step further, which says that if there are multiple editions of a unique artwork, right, then it, then in the 1155 lets you have like a balance of editions, right? And an owner can have a balance of editions of the artwork, right? Mm-hmm. So okay. where, where, do these, where do these differ, right? And so for one cost, right? So say, for example, if you wanted to mint a uh, hundred eleven uh, 721s, right? That, it would cost a hundred times the mint cost, which would be, I don't know, it, I think these days, get, these days it's like 10 to 20 bucks. So if you minted a hundred, it cost $2,000 to mint a hundred tokens. If you wanted to do that exact same hundred tokens on 1155, it would just cost one mint cost, which is 20 bucks. Okay. All right. If you want to transfer more, there's also associated cost with that because you are transferring a balance rather than the individual token. You know, so when do you when do you use each each one of these cases, right? Um, so in my opinion, the best cases to use a 721 is if you have like a unique one-on-one artwork. You know, um, one of the one of the things that happened is because of Nifty Gateway. Nifty Gateway used 721s for everything, even their editions, right? And they started numbering things, mm-hmm. and collectors ended up you know valuing the the number one mint of number mm-hmm. one, two, three mints, and you know certain numbers, right? Yeah. Um, but it's just mainly because the, the, the idea of addition numbers in the NFT space is mainly because of Nifty Gateway and the way they structure their, their drops. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and, you know, that just, that kind of permeated, permeated through, you know, I guess the culture of what an SM21 is. But, you know, in most cases, I would say that if you have, if you're planning on minting a significant number of NFTs, I would say above, you know, anywhere between above 20, I would say, even it's kind of, uh, it depends. You can go up to 100, I would say. But, you know, I think that in some cases they should be 1155s. Like, let's take, for example, uh, you know, PAX Cube, Cube Project, the, the fungibles, right? Yeah. There's 4,000 4, cubes, right? Does anybody care about what their addition number of their cube is? No. Right? Prob- no, right. O- only the number one, only the number one probably, one, two, three, or low mint probably matters, right? So in that case, you know, the, the, those tokens are actually fungible across its set. And so that actually makes more sense more sense being uh, an 11.55. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So um, like when you worked with uh, like Nest Graphics on the Board Ape um, Nest Club, was that something that he you did with a 7.21 or, or 11.55? Yeah, so we did that one as a 7.21, right? So normally whenever we do the mints, I explain both concepts to them and let the artist kind of decide. Gotcha. Um and you know, is that, I did my recommendations. Is that because of the 721 you can um, you can actually label and basically have a mint number as opposed to the 1155? They're all equally like you don't actually have like a title of like this is number one, two, three, four, five. 
Yeah, right. So in a SEM21, you would actually have to like create individual tokens for each each one, right? So each number has to have its own token. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the only differentiating feature for an addition set for a SEM21 is literally just the name, the title, mm-hmm. which has, you know, like one out of, or, you know, one, two, three, four, five, right? And so, you know, I think it depends. Um, when I talked, when we did it with Nest, Nest was like, I think most people like they they really like I find a lot of people are really focused on how Nifty Gateway does things and they're trying to cater towards Nifty Gateway collectors and mm-hmm. that kind of mechanic. But, you know, I think in that case that probably should have been in an 55, but he just wanted it to be um uh, a 721 because I think one he did promise one collector that they would give him the number 1 edition mint. Mhm. Right. Yeah, so if, uh, too, if an artist wants, it, you know, if if they mint a hundred of something and they have a big enough following that you know certain numbers mean something to some of their community, then they have that option um, to do a seven twenty one and just you know go back and label each one with a number. Um, yeah, but but that's but, that really is helpful um, from my perspective to kind of get a better understanding of the two because uh, they're they both essentially. If you, because the other thing you can do technically, I guess, would be you can create a one one on the eleven fifty five standard as well. Yeah, you can do that too, right? But I, I generally recommend that one ones should be seven twenty ones because it yeah. makes more sense for like a prominence point of view and just like, you know, it's more of a premium, right? I find that if you create a seven twenty one with multiple editions, like if you go to view it on OpenSea, what happens is that you just have like four or five of the same things, right? And it kind of dilutes the overall piece. Mm-hmm. Right. One thing that Whereas I've noticed. Whereas if you had a one-on-one, then it's like it just like stands by itself. Yeah, and I've noticed on OpenSea too. Um, I'll use uh, Board Ape the that one as an example. I guess you go to OpenSea and you search for like let's say the Board Ape Nest Club, and you uh, you have to go and through each one is a, a unique asset. But if you go to something like um, uh, the DC blogger project, um, what is that called? The meta key. And you go into that, you, you basically have, it's all the same. They don't have addition numbers. So anyone can put an offer, um, and you can kind of see what the lowest offer and what everyone's, um, kind of asking. And it's easier to find like the lowest asking price and stuff like that, because they're all essentially the same thing. And yep, you can do that exactly. in, in one page as opposed to having to like scroll through OpenSea and look through each edition to see which one's cheapest. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, to me, an 1155 would clean up, you know, the, the display layer and make it easier for collectors, right? Right. So um, it's more of you know, a user it, interface than anything. Yeah. Well, it really, it really depends here. Like, for example, with uh, Mad Dog Jones, we did the, the transform where you could take one of his Nifty Gateway cats and transform it into another cat. Uh huh. Right. Right. And so in that case, we used uh, a 721 because I think in that case it made more sense because one, you're transforming a 721 for another 721, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And on top of that too is that, um, you know, the cat, a lot of Mad Dog Jones collectors uh, who were participating in that one, you know, they expect the 721 to be, you know, how that, that they expected it to be how it operates for that specific case. Gotcha. So, you know, it really depends on, you know, I guess like where the artists are at, where they've dropped before, and you know what their collector base is like. 
Right. Okay, let's move on. I want to talk a little bit more about the the problem that Manifold is solving um, and kind of the mission that you guys are after. So from my understanding, every time that something is minted, whether it's on Maker's Place, OpenSea, Rarible, uh, Super Rare, they each are minting on their own uh, contracts. And so artists don't have, they have like their individual space in each of these areas, but they're not necessarily unique to like itself like not everything is under one contract is that kind of what the the goal of manifold is to solve um okay so if you uh, let's take a step back right so you know when i think about nfts there's four parts to the nft itself right there's the smart contract there's the token ownership and then the representation of what it is right so either it could be visual could be audio, it could be just whatever, right? Mm-hmm. And so when you're minting on different platforms, right? So like, for example, if you mint on, let's say, Foundation, right? Foundation owns the smart contract. They own the, the token. The, the ownership they do, the ownership goes to the artists when they mint, right? And then they transfer it to the marketplace, but also belongs to the art, artist. So in that case there, you know, we're minting on a shared contract with, with Foundation. And so, you know, it, the art, the provenance of the piece is actually disconnected because, you know, the artist used the tool that minted on their behalf, right? Mm. And so at that point now, you know, when if you were to go look back on this token, maybe like five years from now, <clears throat> what you'll see is it's a foundation token with, you know, the creator's artwork, right? Um, so, you know, a place like Nifty Gateway, they, they do the contract, they, they supply contract, but then... You know, the only thing, the only part the artist touches in the case of Nifty Gateway is just literally the artwork, right? They pass the artwork to Nifty Gateway, Nifty Gateway packages it all up for sale, and then that is literally the only, like, I guess, like, fingerprint the artist has with regard to the NFT, right? So what we're trying to do with our with our tokens is that, you know, we believe that the highest level of provenance is an artist who is doing everything themselves from, you know, deploying their own smart contract, minting, the contract providing their own artwork and you know in some cases even being the first owner of that co- of that token right mm-hmm. and so if you look at some of the pieces that have minted with with the manifold contract it you know it it just has all those levels of province in there right so you know for me it's the highest level of artist provincy provenance and artistry for nfts so let me get this straight. So basically, if, if the, someone has a drop and they're going to have a drop on a Nifty Gateway and they partner with you, they can mint their own works and send it over to Nifty Gateway so then they can sell it. Uh, as of last week, that is the case. So we have actually partnered with Nifty Gateway and they are now accepting tokens that have been minted uh, with our contracts. That's incredible. I mean, I think that that makes sense because if you're an artist and you're starting to get traction, you want, I I think you, the way you explained it is perfect. It reminds me of, um, in V friends, there are certain, uh, tokens that are like Gary originally owned tokens that have more value because they were kind of in his wallet. They were minted by him originally. And so you have this value add, um, if, the creator of that token is the original owner and holder and and it just is fascinating to think like how how that can kind of play into the economics of things do you think that um does that really devalue any of the work that um these artists have done prior to kind of creating their this smart contract with you guys uh i would say no right 
you know, I think it's just part of the history. You know, when we think about art in general, there's always provenance in history, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, you know, like, for example, let's take any, uh, a really good example I would have is, you know, uh, Justin Aversano's Twin, Twin Flames project, right? So that was minted on an open seat share contract, right? And, you know, it's because that's what he had at the time. That's the, that's the tool that he used, right? And so he actually approached me one day and we were talking about this. Like, he's like, should I try to migrate all my stuff to his smart contract? I said, no. You know, your history, your provenance of Twin Flames is on OpenSea. Your collectors are on OpenSea, right? And that, that rich history that you've developed with it is on the OpenSea shared contract, right? So you should respect that because that's just part of provenance, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, if you look at his collection right now, you know, it's just, it's doing really well. You know, at the cheapest you can buy a Twin Flames piece from that contract is 20 ETH. Yeah, he's right? so I don't so think successful. But yeah, so, you know, like, when I think about provenance, it's really just maintaining that history of what you have, right? And, you know, it's just part of the journey, right? You know, not everyone not everyone knew that you could do your own smart contracts or what it was. A lot of artists came in this space and was like, hey, this is a cool new technology, new platform involved. Anyway, how do I actually participate, right? And, you know, you have to use the tools that you have available to you at the time. Right. Um, I really appreciate you kind of explaining kind of the the reason behind um, Infold XYZ. I actually had reached out to you and you you had to- talked to me. I don't want to talk about the project I'm working on too much, but you had said, you kind of gave me some really good advice that you didn't think it was necessary to have, you know, a unique smart contract. And I, um, now after this discussion, it makes a lot more sense why. And I really appreciate you taking time to kind of uh, walk through. And I know there's a lot of artists that listen to this to kind of give them an idea of um, of kind of what, what is happening with the evolution of smart contracts and um, what I know right now, it's kind of like you guys at Manifold are kind of taking on individual clients, but I know eventually you're wanting to put the software out so that anyone can kind of do this on their own. Um, What's the timeframe looking like with uh, being able to open it up to more artists to be able to create their own smart contracts? Yeah, so we're pretty close, I would say. So actually our, our contract deployer tool is actually done. It's really easy. To deploy a contract, it literally takes five minutes, right? I think uh, I, there's a few people on the stage who actually, a few people in the audience who have actually deployed a contract so they can test that. Uh, the problem we have right now is that our, I guess, like minting of an asset pipeline is not up to that same level of ease, mm-hmm. right? And so we're trying to work on a tool right now to make it so that, you know, you can just deploy a contract, uh, you know, upload your, upload your artwork, review your artwork, and then mint it. Um, you know, a, a part of a, Right now is literally every time we deploy a contract, uh, it's a member of our team assisting the artist, getting feedback and taking that feedback and building it back into the tool itself. Right. Um, this process takes any can take anywhere from an hour to three hours to deploy a contract and do a mint. Uh, best case, thirty minutes. You know, if the artists we're working with have done all their homework. But a lot of that, a lot of that, a lot of the times too, it's that as we're, you know, working with artists, we are we always discover things that they don't know, right, and that. We can help improve the art and so you know that's that's part of the feedback loop that we're trying to like incorporate into some of the tools that we're building yeah and i know that you've also been a huge uh, i know tomorrow i believe you're kind of helping someone set up a ledger and doing that live and i i think that that's so fascinating to help kind of protect the community i think that's kind of what you're seeing the people that are doing really well in the space right now 
have started because they have really good intentions. They want to help people out. They want the space to grow in a positive way. Um, What have you noticed about kind of uh, with so many people coming to the space, especially since you have been in the space for a while, you've seen, you know, the bad actors that are out there and the kinds of things that can happen. I mean, let alone to massive exchanges, but now, you know, these individual artists can be targeted. Um, how important is it to also kind of talk about the security aspect and trying to help educate artists to make sure that they're taking the right steps to protect the, you know, the, the money that they're earning from their hard work? Um, yeah, so, you know, I think that to me, it's probably one of the most important things, right? And to me, it's one of the highest value leverages of my time, right? You know, if I, if I can help any artists or any creators protect their wallets, right, potentially save them hundreds of thousands of dollars, to me, time to help do so, right? So I've been really trying to, like, really focus on, you know, spreading the message of, you know, why you want to protect your heart, your crypto assets and identity, right? Um, you know, I think that the big thing is that when, a lot of artists and creators and even collectors came into the space, right? They, you know, security of their crypto assets and, you know, how they set everything up was just wasn't a thought, right? They're like, how do you just get involved, right? Mm-hmm. And most of the time, too, it's like you take the easiest path to get involved, right? And, you know, now that there's actually like significant money in the space and, you know, as soon as that happens, you're going to get targeted no matter what, right? Uh, the, the thing about crypto, though, is that it's a new paradigm, right? So before, you know, whenever th- everyone thought about money, it's always like, you know, working with a centralized service such as the bank or PayPal or, you know, like even Coinbase in this case to, you know, be the custodians of your funds. But with uh, crypto, you, the paradigm shift is that you are now fully in control of, you know, how, how your, your, your funds for better or worse, right? And so with that comes obviously great responsibility to like, you know, do it properly, right? Yeah. And so, you know, I think that the big shift right now is that, you know, I think education of crypto security is really important and that, you know, we have to start, you know, telling people that, well, you know, you have to set yourself up securely, especially if you want to be, be invested long-term in the space. Right. You know, I get messages almost, almost daily now about people who are, you know, had their wallets hacked or were involved in some sort of scam that, you know, could have been prevented by just owning a hardware wallet, a hardware wallet and setting it up correctly. The thing is, like, once you set it up once, if you do it correctly, you just don't have to set it up again. You should just be good for, you know, however long the time that you have your setup. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and it only takes maybe an hour or two to set up, right? Depending on how much funds you have, there's different levels of security and, you know, hoops you can, ju- hoops you can jump through. But, you know, if you, if you hop on our Discord tomorrow, the Manifold XYZ Discord tomorrow at 10 a.m. Uh, Pacific, we're going to do a full ledger setup with uh, G-Monk, hmm. right? we're gonna go over like, from scratch, right? So he hasn't set up anything, right? He knows the parts of it. We're gonna go brand new ledger, set it up, and then go over you know, every single step and then best practices for how to secure, secure your crypto and your seed phrase for the future. That's phenomenal. If you if you're not following Richard and Manifold.xyz, make sure to go do that so that you can stay up to date because they are truly they're they're creating their own space and building really important things for artists, but they're also really um, 
staying focused on helping protect the consumer and making sure that um, you're staying protected as well. You know, you hear a lot about a ledger hardware wallet. It seems kind of intimidating. You're like, what is this? It's really not that difficult to set up. It also, if you have funds that you're not going to really touch, it's kind of like your savings account. You, you Like I've set up my ledger wallet for the first time and being in crypto for years, uh, once I started to actually have some value, you need to start thinking, okay, now how do I protect this value? Because you don't want it just, you, you don't, you're, you are your custodian. So you've got to be really careful. You are the one with the keys. And if you give, let someone uh, have any sort of access, even on accident, your entire wealth is just, it just disappears. And uh, nobody wants that in this space. It puts a really bad taste in your mouth every time you see it happen. And we don't want it to happen to anybody. So make sure to, as you continue to grow your wealth through crypto or NFT flipping or whatever you're doing, make sure to protect yourself. If you don't want um, part of it to be lost, you know, make sure to kind of diversify, put your stuff in different wallets, make sure to always um, protect yourself. And and Richard, I, I wanted to make sure I give a platform to talk about that because I really appreciate and seeing that the proactivity you've been taking in, in that area every time something happens. And I know the community really appreciates it. So thank you for continuing to uh, look out for the, the community in that way. Yeah, I know. I think it's important. You know, I've been I've been in crypto for a long time. I've seen and heard tons of disaster stories. I even have my own, you know, missteps myself. It's all a learning experience. You know, and it is intimidating. You know, if you've never been involved with crypto before, it is there's a lot of things to know. And you know, it's you know, at this point you have to be in control of your own like you're 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 the one in control, right? So that comes with a lot of responsibility. Right. All right. One more question, and then we're going to go and take some audience questions. If you're just joining us, please retweet so we can get as many people in here for the last segment um, of the show. Make sure to retweet at the Crazy About Crypto show that we're live now. The last question for you um, from me, Richard, is about the smart contracts that you're creating because I've see, you actually post them and they are really beautiful. And I know that you um, have put that smart with the ART in capital letters. You take a lot of pride in making these really amazing um, looking. They all have a section where you can kind of see the name of the artist and really cool coding. And um, I, I was curious to, you, to ask you... Um, the importance behind doing that is it because you kind of see a movement in the future where the smart contract itself really is like a, a piece of artwork, um, or is it just so that the you know when people want to go look or you know on the tech side they see kind of something cool you did? Um, tell me kind of the reasoning behind making putting so much time and effort into like the look of these smart contracts. Um, yeah, so, you know, to me, the smart contract, you know, when I think about NFTs, the smart contract is part of the art, right? And especially for some, like, uh, different projects, like, you know, there's so much you can do with the smart contract, right? And so we, you know, at Manifold, we really put a lot of care to making sure that the contract looks good because, you know, you know, it's the source of truth for everything, right? So when, you know, as a historian or, you know, future, a future researcher in NFT, NFTs, right? When you go look back, everything on the blockchain is permanent, right? And so, you know, what do you want to see when you go look back on the history of NFTs, right? And so, you know, the first place you look for for any NFT is you go look at the smart contract. 
right? And so that's that's basically the the thing that runs everything at this point, right? You can't mm-hmm. have this whole space without the smart contract. And so you know when we think about you know the smart contract and how we display them, is that we want to put a lot of care into it because you know this is effectively uh, a creator's workshop going forward. You know we expect that all the creators that are using our smart contracts will be able to use these smart contracts for the entire livelihood of their NFT career, right? And on top of that too, they're incredible archive archivals of you know the body of work that a creator will put out. You know when I think about like you know contracts out there right now, it's like you know one of the things that I don't like is when you know different platforms like just brand this contract with uh, their own branding, right? So, for example, some examples of that is um, uh, Rarible, right? So, Rarible is a, you know, when you go look at a Rarible contract, it says Rarible, right? It's a Rarible token. Even though it's a a private smart contract that was deployed by the artist, it still says Rarible, right? Um, Nameless does the same thing. It's a Nameless token. The contract is called Nameless. So, when you, like, share the link, it says Nameless and not, you know, the artist name. Yeah. Uh, Nifty Gateway is called a Nifty Gateway Builder contract. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, and so you know, when we think about you know what it, what, you know, when we think about what does the artist want, right? If I was an artist by myself, you know, not on a platform, if I was creating this even without me, as, you know, manifold as a company, what would I put on there, right? And that's what we put into our contracts, right? And you know, one of the things I think about too is permanence, permanence and longevity. And so, if you know, like you know, I, I'm a person, manifold as a company, and we all know that you know, people and companies may not exist in the future, right? And, but, you know, what we want to do is what, you know, one of our, our philosophies is regarding permanence is that if we as a company disappear, if I as an individual disappear, you know, these contracts will live on, mm-hmm. right? And we want them to be usable by whoever has one of these contracts for permanence and historical purposes. I love it. I think you know, and that, that's the whole point of Web3, of decentralization, is that you can now become your own platform and be in control. Yeah, so forward thinking, Richard. Um, I really appreciate you coming on the show because it really helps. I think every time we can get to educate the community, be able to continue to help people learn um, about this space without having to learn from, you know, you learn from our mistakes, you know, learn from people who have been in it that will learn the hard way so that you don't have to. And I just appreciate you continuing to take time to uh, educate others. And I think you're really forward thinking about your um, perspective as well about smart contracts, because you're right in, in a hundred years from now, even after the artist um, maybe passed away, the, the smart contract will always live on. And that's uh, something that just, you know, is going to be like you said, like their fingerprint on all of their artworks. And that's fascinating and super cool that you're already thinking about that. All right, we are going to move on to um, take a few questions. If you are in the audience, it's time for the community corner part of our show where we let you take the mic and you can ask Richard a question that's on your mind. Go ahead and hit that request button, and we'll see if we have anyone that'd like to come up and ask Richard a question um, before we take off for today. We'll give everyone just a second to see if anyone has a question, Richard. All right, I'm not seeing. I'm not seeing anyone. I think we may have covered everything, Richard. <laughs> everyone, everyone knows everything about smart contracts now because of this one podcast. 
There's a constantly evolving space, right? And we're going to continue to learn every day about um, smart contracts. I learned a few things in this episode myself that I I wasn't aware of. I've known about the two different contracts, but even wasn't completely um, completely sure about why each one kind of would have a better use case than the other. I think I learned a lot. I really hope the audience learned a lot too. And thank you for taking time to be on the show, Richard. All right. Uh, of course, pleasure to be here. All right, Richard from Manifold.xyz. If you have not followed him, please go do that now. Also follow Manifold.xyz for everything that they're doing. And make sure to follow the Crazy About Crypto show so you can continue to learn about crypto from the pioneers in the space. Thank you for tuning in. And make sure to follow us so that you can stay up to date on what's coming next.